Hello, club members. I'm Kate. And I'm Emma. And I don't know what we're talking about today because <laughs> I am not in charge. I am specifically not in charge. Yes. Uh, Emma is Finally. With, <laughs> finally. She, she's the power. in charge today. The power. What is that from? In every, I feel like a Disney villain. The absolute oh, power. That's from Aladdin. Yes. That's, that's exactly what I'm channeling today. I'm channeling some Jafar for you guys. Oh, strong, strong start. <laughs> well, the club, the club members probably already know what we're covering because it was the title to the episode they clicked on, but I don't know. So will you please tell me what we're talking about? I sure will. So um, just as a little refresher to people who maybe aren't familiar with our mini episodes. So unlike our main episodes where we cover um, a horror movie, um, these we kind of go fast and loose with and Kate and I take turns on finding content that's horror adjacent that we find interesting. And today that comes in the form of the poet of Wichita. The poet? Do you know anything about the poet? No, no, I don't. The poet of Wichita. All right. Well, buckle, buckle up, Kate. So Kate has no idea what's going on and I love it. I'm so confused. The so, po- is it a, is it a poet? Is it a murderer? You're usually, you're usually telling They're not mutually murderers. exclusive. Oh God. <laughs> okay. So this story starts off in 1977 in Wichita, Kansas. We are um, learning about a woman. There's a woman named Ruth Finley. She's a 47-year-old woman who uh, works at a telephone company as a receptionist, and she's also the mother of two grown sons and uh, has a husband named Ed. I think she enjoys ceramics, and he likes to paint landscapes. Her kids are out of the house, so um, just kind of live in a, the, a, an empty nest, kind of a simple um, simple lifestyle. Suspiciously wholesome. Suspiciously wholesome. It always is. So she's had a very bad day. Her husband, Ed, was working in the backyard and then he collapsed. And so they had to rush him to the hospital. They were concerned that he was having a heart attack. So they were keeping him in the hospital to work that up. So this was really scary for her for a number of reasons. Obviously, it's traumatic to have your your partner collapse on you. And in addition to that, she had not been home alone in like 30 years And to add to that, uh, for those who are true crime lovers, y'all might know that Wichita, Kansas in the 1970s was a time when the BTK killer was uh, murdering people in the area. Oh, man. I really thought we were going to make it without (laughs) serial killers. I should have known you said the story story was set in like the Midwest in the 70s. Yeah, you really should have. But this has a little Uh, bit. This is a bit of a twist. I gave you something with a twist. So it's not just people getting murdered. I promise. Okay. She's at home. She's understandably stressed out. She's listening to the radio. The radio is talk, keeps talking about the BTK killer. And she's like, okay, enough of that. Oh, God. She tries Poor to. Poor Ruth. I know. Ruth tries to change it to um, a different, a different uh, radio station that's a bit more calming. And so she gets a phone call. So she's expecting news from the hospital. So she answers the phone. And there's a man on the other end. And he says, is this Ruth, Ruth Smock from Fort Scott, Kansas? Which is <gasps> odd because... She is now Ruth Finley. She's been married. So it's using her maiden name and referring to where she grew up. Uh-oh. And he, then he starts asking her about her brand and says he knows all about that night. So to give a little bit of context, she, uh, whenever she was younger, when she was like 16 years old, when she was, uh, before she was married, she was a teenager in, um, in, a, in Fort Scott, Kansas. She actually had, came home one day and a, a man grabbed her from... <gasps> from the screen door behind her pulled her from behind she lost consciousness when she woke up she woke up and there were these first degree burns on her legs from the uh from a heated flat iron that was nearby 
first degree burns, mm-hmm. those are no joke. No. Um, and this, that at that time, it became a big deal. They never caught the person who did it. And, you know, the... Wait. So she she was coming home yeah. at, from, like, I guess high school or something. And someone grabbed her from behind as she was going into her house. Yeah. Someone opened the screen she, door and grabbed her. God. And she lost consciousness somehow. We don't yeah, know how. Like, maybe fainted. And, and then she woke up with horrible burns from a flat iron on her. Yes. Oh, my God. So, and that kind of also leans into why she would be having trouble being home with a combination of having previously suffered um, an attack and then there being an attacker on the loose. So plenty of things to be nervous about. Oh, poor Ruth. So this guy starts saying, hey, I like I am actually a construction worker. I found I was just demolishing a home and I found an article of what happened to you. Um, and if you don't give me, uh, if you don't give me money, I'm going to publicize and make sure everybody knows about what happened to you. Fuck you, dude. Yeah. So she hangs up the phone, tries to like get herself together. She's understandably completely exhausted, ends up sleeping for like 10 hours. She spends a week at home alone waiting for her husband to come home. They had to keep him in the hospital. It turns out that he didn't have a heart attack, but it was related to an old car accident that had happened previously. Oh, God. So she's at home for a week by herself, understandably very fearful of getting another phone call, but she doesn't. Or the BTK killer showing up. Yeah. So she is understandably under a lot of stress. Oh, my God. Fortunately, her husband comes home. He's okay. She goes back to work. She's working as a secretary, as I mentioned, at this telephone company. And later that summer, she goes to her office and there's an envelope on her desk. And inside of it, there's this clipping. From, Anthrax. <laughs> there's this clipping from a 1946 article titled Sex Maniac Uses Flatiron in Branding Local High School Girl. So it's the article <gasps> from when she was attacked. Sex Maniac. Was she assaulted? Like sexually assaulted? So the interesting thing was he did not actually, there's no evidence that she was sexually molested during that event. But she did get, have those brands and scratches and things all over her legs. So it's a little bit fuzzy. Yeah, no, still absolutely horrific assault. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's understandably very unsettling. She doesn't want to bother her husband, so she doesn't tell him about it. No. Yeah. And then she starts getting she starts getting these calls. The man calls back, and he uh, is keeps just saying kind of threatening things, trying to talk to her. She keeps hanging up. Every now and then, um, the husband is kind of like, "What's going on?" So he like picks up the other other end of the phone. But at that person, the at that point, the person has hung up, and so it's just a dial tone. So he's just like calling, and then. Making a threat and hanging up. Yes. Oh. So then... Uh, Gross. So there's just a little bit of that. And then in August of that year, she's window shopping in downtown Wichita. And a man kind of pops out from a crowded crosswalk and starts following kind of in stride beside her. No. Yeah. He asked her if no, she... Ma'am. He asked her if she works for the telephone company. He invites her to come like stay with him in Las Vegas. And she just replies Ew. like, hey, I'm waiting for my husband. She's trying not to, you know, lean into any of this or really engage with him. Yeah. No, correct. Correct response. Don't talk to him. His tone changes. And he asks if she was married. And he says, I like your face. I'll see you again. You can count on that. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. Emma, my heart. I know. I this would, poor woman. I would lose my absolute mind so at that point she tells her husband not about all the phone calls but she tells him because he's picking her up and so she tells him about that and he's like that guy was probably trying to hit on you but like just keep an eye out just be wary um and he just kind of tries to consult her ruth trust your instincts everyone everyone listening trust your instincts if you get a bad feeling about someone go with it yeah (laughs) go with it yeah 
nothing happens. And then a little bit later, she has another encounter with just somebody behind her. Kind of, she feels like she's being followed and she hears someone yelling, Ruth, get back here, you stupid bitch. Talk to me. And so she runs. Is it that guy? She doesn't look. She just runs into a Macy's department store. She kind of blacks out a little bit. She doesn't remember until she's like on the fourth floor. And she's like, how did I even get here? And she just is completely spooked by this. That's scary. I know. Oh, that's so sad and scary. I know. So then, th- then she starts getting uh, mail. There's an unmarked no. envelope with her name scrawled on the front in tall black letters. And inside no. it says, fuck you. Fuck the police. Fuck the telephone company. Fuck the telephone company. <laughs> I mean, really, those prices. (laughs) I would (laughs) fuck Comcast. I'm just like, why? I'm I'm curious to see where the telephone company comes in because I know she works for them. Mm -hmm. It's very weird. So, hmm. So he's Hmm. then he writes kind of at the bottom of it, "Give me money, or you will be hurt." So at this point, she does show it to her uh, her husband and kind of updates Ed. And at that point, Ed's like, "We're going to the police." So they take this to the police. The police is not really super whelmed. They're <laughs> they're not super well by this. They have a lot going on. Understandably, they're dealing with the BTK killer, so they're like, we don't have time yeah, to deal well, with this. Yeah, well, that, that uh, oh my god, no, that's not how any of. Also, this is the seventies. We got a lot more killers than the one that's on the news right now mm-hmm. at this moment. Yeah, you would think they would be like, oh shit, I am acutely aware of the presence of serial killers. Maybe we should prevent future ones. Hmm, what a concept. I know. I'm I'm just wily and crazy like that. So she gets blown off by the police. She gets blown off happens. by the police, but she oh ke- continues Poor hysterical woman. She continues to get these letters. One says, "I can tell if anybody is watching me. Don't be a dumb bitch again and blow this. I will try to be your friend why you are, but when you are a dumb bitch, again it's D U M, so there are all these weird misspellings. I don't like you. This time you talk to me when I call you soon." And then he, for the first time, you get a poem. And the poem goes, No, no, I didn't want (laughs) him to be the poet. Wherever you go on water or land, you still got to pay or I tell about your brand. I am smart and know things to do. You talk to people I despise, like police lieutenant and telly spies. Okay. First of all, terrible poem. (laughs) Second of all. The iambic pentameter is just, you know, not what it should be. Not up to par. It's just lazy. (laughs) Just lazy lazy poetry lazy poetry you're never gonna make it but I hate and I notice how he uses shame to keep her quiet yeah and that's something that a lot of people do where something horrific happened to you and they make you feel like it was your fault you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have been wearing that. Well, you know, it's really embarrassing that happened to you. Yeah, the whole you sure you want you sure you want people to know. You sure you want people to know? Fuck this guy and fuck his shitty poems. Yeah, <laughs> fuck his shitty poems is right because they were getting so many of them. They go to Lieutenant Jawatsky um, at police headquarters, and at this point, they start taking it seriously because they're getting so many, and they're also wondering if they could in some way be like related to the BTK killer because he was known for sending he sent letters to the newspaper a lot like ultimately he got caught spoiler alert because he was working with he was because he wanted attention and he sent a floppy Mm -hmm. he used a floppy disk because they told him that you couldn't track a floppy disk and so he used a floppy disk at his church and then got caught Ugh, simple-minded idiot that's good police work good Mm -hmm. job those police I know uh, and Good job, that officer. 
So they pass on these, uh, some of these letters to the police laboratory for fingerprinting. They don't really find anything. So, yeah. So there's like many poems. Yeah, there's a bunch of these letters coming in. The letters continue coming in. They try to fingerprint them, but they don't find anything. They they grow more indecipherable over time, like with a bunch of misspellings and abbreviations and weird words like consentaneous and prolegomenous and sanchust and psychothening, just like these weird, not real words that are mixed with misspelled words. It's very, very odd. Sounds stable. Yeah, he sounds he sounds like a, a good pal to have. Mm-hmm. At this point, the family is getting understandably very worried. At this point. <laughs> Ed is lying in the bushes at night with a 12-gauge shotgun, just waiting for hours oh. there, trying to protect his wife. Ed is a good husband. If this turns out to be Ed, I am going to be so fucking pissed. I know. So this goes on, and then it kind of culminates. Oh, when, no. So I the letters stop. They go on vacation. They get away. Things are just feel like they're getting better. The poems and letters just kind of abruptly stop. So she gets to a point where she feels stable enough to go out by herself. And Ed's like, just be careful, okay? Okay, Ruth. So she goes to get a new pair of jeans. She's walking back. It's around dusk. She's going through, like, a parking lot because malls are kind of fun, fancy, and new at this time. And I guess she hasn't seen the Scream movies to know not to do that. Yeah, you didn't do that. <laughs> she, uh, there's a man, and this is the same the same man who had harassed her before, who's apparently been watching her. He says, hey, Ruth, I didn't know you were going to make this so easy. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. So he tries, she's trying to get into her car. He kind of grapples with her. She manages to get in through the passenger door and, like, lock the door. And in the process, um, he, like, runs off. She realizes she's driving home and she realizes she has stab she has a stab wound in her in her uh side and two stabs and stab wounds in her back which she doesn't even realize until she actually gets taken to the hospital and there's like an eight inch bowing knife in her side the knife is inside still there and they're like if that had gone like an inch further you'd be dead she ends up hospitalized for nine days oh my god at this point the police are putting up uh, sketches based on what she has told them and so there's okay. a, a sketch that's given to the hospital staff and the nurse alerts the police that, police that there's a man matching that description who visited the nurse's desk good job nurse excellent job nurse mm-hmm. it's it's insane that that has to be part of a nurse's job mm-hmm. but good job nurse so this hap- the, all this stuff, ha- is ha- while this is happening, she's getting closer to Le- Lieutenant Jorowatsky. Uh It b- ends up getting escalated and out of his hands to another to another uh, police member. And then the head of the police... Like an upper level? Like an upper like, level. Like it goes... Okay. There's a... The kind of the chief of police is a man named uh, Lamagnon, who is just not... He, he's dealing with mostly, with mostly with BTK stuff, but he ends up getting dragged in because he gets... A letter gets sent to his wife... <gasps> yeah that'll get your attention yeah so at that point they're like enough of this bullshit they have police watching the area but they don't ever see anyone like in the area they put up uh, cameras in the birdhouses in the back and then oh it's crazy because they know what he looks like yeah and they know he's around her and they still can't get him it's just incredibly frustrating they're, she's sweet ruth is like baking treats for the police officers because she feels bad that they're having to waste Rude. all this time in, in her house Ruth. A bunch of stuff starts happening at the front of the house, like Molotov cocktails. There's like a firing wreath. That's, Whoa. There's a firing wreath, wreath. They hear like this big bang. And then they realize that the glass has, the glass on their front door has shattered because there's a, a wreath that's on fire that heated up the, the glass and caused it to break. So someone's throwing fire at, someone's throwing Molotov cocktails at their house. 
and lighting their wreath on fire. Yes. Where are the police? Are they not at her house? So the police at that point had kind of, it. they had watched the house for a while and then they ended up, you know, pulling back whenever nothing happened. And they had set up stuff in the back, which is where stuff was going on before. But now there's something going on in the front and they hadn't accounted for that. You know what this sounds like? No spoilers. Sounds a lot like Scream 4. Like police are stationed, but they get complacent and they're looking at the wrong part of the house. Yeah. Looking at the wrong part. So Lemignon is like, enough of this. This person's harassing my wife. Like, I just need to work on this. So he sits down. He goes through all of the information. He like thinks about this for a while. And ultimately he says, you know what? I know what happened. He gets a, a group of policemen and he says, okay, so I know who did it. Please don't be Ed. So let's just review the evidence we have. There's, there's never been a single witness to any of Ruth's encounters with the poet, though they all occurred in public places. She got a knife stab. The Finleys live on a dead-end street with little traffic. None of the neighbors or station police officers have ever spotted the poet, nor were there any footprints discovered. Oh, no. Ruth, whenever she got injured, she called the police. But why didn't she just call, like, the emergency dispatchers? It seems like that would make the most sense. No, not Ruth. As soon as the, the cameras are put in the back, the action moved to the front of the house. I know who this is. This is Ruth. No, Ruth. No. Ruth, did, why? They say, why, Ruth? we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to start tracking everything Ruth does. So they start tracking her. They track her husband driving her to the post office. They go, they want to, which they see her dropping some mail. And they're like, we're going to get that mail. Unfortunately, it takes like several hours to get a postal worker to unlock, <laughs> unlock the mailbox. And so at that That's time, funny. there's enough other people who've put in mail. You can't say that it was Ruth. So the next time they get an undercover detective to have a flat tire in front of the mailbox so no one else can put mail in the mailbox until they're able to open it after she puts in mail. That's funny. And sure enough, they find letters from the poet along with bills and things of that nature. They get a warrant to go look in her uh, to go look in her office. And when they look in her office, they find a book of poetry. They find a couple of letters they also, when and this is not something I've mentioned before, but she, whenever she was experiencing some of these attacks, there were elements, like sometimes there would be like a piece of red bandana that got sent with it, and it was just very confusing. So, the she, fuck? so she had a piece of red bandana that was wrapped up in like a tissue in her um, desk. And then what they did on top of it is they took the, uh, the, the stamps on the envelopes, because they presumably come from a stamp book at that time. They're able to take the different bills that she sent. They go all around town to all the places that she's dropping off her bills and they take the letters and they are able to match up in the in her book. They're able to match up all the different stickers, including the stickers or the stamps that were coming from the poet letters. Okay. But why? So they bring Ed in because they want to see if Ed's complicit in any way or if like he knows like what's going on. They ask Ed a bunch of questions. Everything seems very straight. There, there doesn't seem to be any suggestion that he is involved in this. They also make him do a lie detector test, which is also negative. Yeah, also those don't work. So, And then, no, they don't work. Side note, they don't work. Also, um, <laughs> teeth marks don't necessarily work. Anyway, so... They bring in Ruth. Handwriting also doesn't necessarily work is what you've you've taught me. Yes. They bring in Ruth and they say, Ruth, we know you did it. The jig is up, Ruth. The jig is up, Ruth. And she's like, no, no, I didn't do it. And they're like, Ruth, it's okay. We just need you to be honest with us. And she starts crying and she starts saying, 
there are these times like that I didn't I didn't know if they were dreams or if they were real where I'd like had memories of writing letters in the basement and I and I'm confused and there's something wrong with me. So she wants to get put into a mental institution. She at this point has developed a really close relationship, not with Lamagnon, who's the head, and that's why he was able to be unbiased, but with some of the other detectives. And he's like, y'all, she's just like, y'all should hate me. I hate me. That's so bleak. She ends up getting therapy. And through that therapy, uh-huh. it comes to light that she had been like molested whenever she was younger by a oh. neighbor. And he'd always tied her up with red bandanas. Oh my God, Ruth. The really beautiful thing is that the way that the therapist gets her to kind of come to terms with all this and, and kind of uncover some of these deeply repressed experiences is through poetry. So she ends up writing a lot of poetry that's very therapeutic for her. Oh. Everyone, with the exception of La Mignon, who's like, you did it. You did it on a purpose. I hate you. Everyone else, her oh, husband stays on. with her. Her kids aren't mad at her. All of her neighbors, she tells them the truth and says, it's okay if like you don't want to be around me and you think I'm a bad person oh, now. Rude. Everyone supports her. In the 70s, everyone supported her? Yeah, everyone supported her. A bunch of, whenever this kind of went out into news sources, because everyone at this point, everyone knew about the about Yeah, everyone the was poet. on the hunt for the killer. Exactly. When they find out it's her, like 98% of input that they get from the community is all positive and supportive of Ruth and trying to like support her recovery every the vast majority of people were incredibly understanding and supportive of her that's really surprising because i don't feel like ptsd was understood well at all no or like a lot of psychiatric conditions and that's probably why they didn't know that it was her earlier yeah you're right because it was a time when it, it was it was always a, a guy out and about just and there was women. a guy out and about i mean that alone would be enough to cause if you had had trauma before and then there was some question about whether or not the burns because she wasn't assaulted as you pointed out whether or not the burns were self-inflicted and kind of what whether or not that was real from her uh, teenage experience she still she, she still says that that was real and that did happen to her so the combination of didn't she, i'm sorry doesn't she also think that what was happening to her then was real like it sounded like she wasn't fully like she was like not in her she was dissociating yeah yes dissociating that's the word I'm looking for but I guess it's just because it's recent it she can like connect it a little bit better like people can lay out the pieces and say hey this is what's up so I guess we'll never know yeah so really we don't know the police in that area think that it really was an intruder who did that. But we really, you just can't say because there are some things that are kind of odd that like a man broke in but didn't molest her, but put these burns on her legs, but didn't kill her. It's just, it's a little murky. But what we do know is that she suffered a deep childhood trauma, ended up dissociating yeah. when she was at the house by herself for the first time in a long time. While there was a killer on the loose, Ruth was the poet. That was my heart. <laughs> Isn't that a ride? It is such a ride because I did start to get angry at Ruth for a minute. Like just for a second, though. I know. I'm not really angry at her either. And I don't think she did it on purpose. No. And it sounds like she really did suffer so horribly. Like imagine thinking. Did she stab herself? Like she she must must have. have. She must have. Oh, that's so scary. That's just so scary. And to not know what's what's real and what's not real. I am very, very appreciative for everyone that was supporting her and taking care of her and understanding because people don't to this day in 2022 people still don't get stuff like that and Mm -hmm. they don't have patience or empathy for people with different minds than them and in the 70s like back whenever we were still prescribing 
medications for hysteria in yeah. women. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. I don't know. I'm, this is weirdly heartwarming. It is. I know. By the end of it, I was like, oh, everyone took care of her. Oh, Ruth. Ruth, proud of you. I'm glad that you got through this. And I hope that that doesn't happen to anyone ever again, although sadly I know it will. I hope that the police notice things like this faster. I think modern police would have put that together way earlier. They learned about the mailbox issue. They sure did. <laughs> Through some trial and error. It also, yeah, it makes me laugh that they had to be like, oh, flat tire, no one can use this because you're messing up our investigation. That's hilarious. That's funny. So that is the story of the poet of Wichita. The poet of Wichita. That is a fascinating story. I, mean, that's, I think this is one of my favorite true crimes that you've told me. I try to give you, I try not to just give you a true crime. I try to give you something with a little bit of huh in it. A little bit of mm. Little and bit also of, mm. it wasn't about like a bunch of people who were horribly and irreversibly harmed. Yes, exactly. No one was ultimately harmed beyond costing the police like 300000 plus dollars. Yeah, so like it's not good. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't recommend it's not, it. Definitely not on purpose. Don't be doing this shit on purpose. You will and should go to jail. But I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that Ruth was able to get some therapy. Mm-hmm. Good for you, Ruth. Good for her. And that's why therapy is great. And in conclusion, <laughs> therefore, therapy should be mandatory. The end. All right, guys, that's all I have for this episode. But I just want to give a little teaser that we have a very, very fancy special episode next week that I think y'all are going to really enjoy. Anything you want to divulge, Kate? It might have to do with a new entry into a very old, very beloved horror movie franchise. Yes. And you'll just have to stay tuned. And we will also have a very special guest with us. I'm excited. I'm very, very excited about it. All right. Yay. Until then, guys. Stay spoopy. Stay spoopy.